I'm glad that you guys are here, and I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for the way that you love, the way that you serve, and the way that you worship. I know not all of you are loving, serving, and worshiping, but you're here, and you want to, or I believe you wouldn't be here. And I want to say thank you for coming to a place where what matters the most is God's presence and true, authentic family. I love it when I walk in and I see people worshiping and I hear people singing. I love it when I feel authenticity coming off of the stage. I love it when I see little kids raising their hands and worshiping and dancing. I love it when they're just looking at me play the percussion and the drums as I just pour my heart out to the Lord. And they don't fully know what's going on, but they're in an atmosphere and an environment where they're experiencing God's love and God's presence. And I love that. That's what I want to raise my kids in. I don't want to just send my kids to the back. I want them to experience supernatural life, not just here, but in my home and in everywhere that we go and in everything that we do. And I'm thankful that we have a church where people really worship. I'm thankful that we have a place where people are uninhibited to be free, even if you can't sing that good. I love it when I hear people singing from the back. I'm like, they are so off key. Oh my gosh. And I hear the Lord say, but I love it so much. I love it when I see young adults that make the choice to come on a Sunday morning, not because their parents drugged them here. I love it when high schoolers are coming, even when their parents aren't serving God, but they're hungry for more and they're hungry for family and God's presence. So they make the choice to come all on their own volition. I love that. And we have to keep things in a perspective and have understanding. Just like I said earlier, people are dying. We had a cousin try to commit suicide and I took my little five-year-old's hand because my wife was crying and my little girl is so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. She sensed in a second something was wrong. Amber peeked her head out the door and said, David, I need to talk to you and had a just started and Cadence saw it out of the corner of her eye and said, what happened? What happened? We said, one of our cousins tried to kill himself. I said, and Cadence didn't know how to process that. She's five. So come here, we're gonna pray right now. We're gonna pray that he'll live and not die. Let's agree right now that he'll live and not die. And she got, man, she was feeling the weight. And we agreed and we prayed that he would live and not die. And guess what? He lived and didn't die. And I don't teach my children to walk in fear, but rather to walk in confident faith and trust. I teach my children about the beautiful wonder of God, the supernatural side of God, believing that God can intervene and bring miracles and healings and signs and wonders. And I constantly point her and explain to her the contrast because she must get understanding. You have to get understanding right here. You have to. If you don't get understanding, you'll reject, you'll doubt, you'll trample down God's word and the devil the wicked one will come and steal away what God is trying to speak into your life. So I'm in this constant realm of bringing understanding. I'm bringing understanding to you. I don't want it to be so wild and so crazy that you're like, what in the world's happening? Oh. I want you to, to get a narrative of what the presence does. And I want you to understand that when God shows up and when people are desperate, even people that don't know him or are walking in full-scale sin will respond. And sometimes their response is ugly. 
Sometimes their response doesn't look right. Sometimes their response is even in their flesh because when God comes, all flesh will respond. And we come to church with apathetic eyes and we come to church questioning and why are they singing like that and why are they dancing like that and why is the music so long and why is it so loud and how come they're being that way? And many times what some of the people are doing is of the flesh and not of the spirit. But what's the option? Send them back out into the world? Send them back out to the clubs and bars where they get free with eight shots of tequila? And then, ah, yeah, woo! I'll take somebody that is even being in the flesh sometimes in this house because I've seen people that have come in that don't have a narrative for real worship, don't have a narrative for what real church and kingdom should look like, and they act out in their flesh, but they're ultimately responding to the atmosphere and the presence of God. And God says, those are the ones I'm sending for you to teach. That's where we need mothers and fathers to love, not boot them out the door. Because I got a newsflash for every one of us. When you first got saved, you didn't quite have it figured out, did you? Uh, wouldn't it be awesome if the minute you get born again, it's like, here comes the blood. Here comes holistic, super righteous, got it all together, David. Wouldn't it be awesome if you never sinned again? But it doesn't quite work like that, does it? Wouldn't it be awesome if you never made a mistake again? But it doesn't quite work like that. It's a process of learning God's love and his grace and his mercy. And it's a process of compassionate understanding to get the narrative that people are dying, dying every 25 seconds. An abortion and a suicide. Bam, bam, dead, dead, dead. And it will eventually, inevitably affect all of us in some way or another. So God raises up a place like this and a person like you. God raises up people that are seed carriers and seed barriers of holistic life that are compassionate, that are real mothers and fathers that can be replicated and can be duplicated and can be imitated. So when somebody comes in and they're in the flesh, I say, man, thank God they're here. And if they stay, <laughs> yeah, if you stay, it's just a matter of time before the culture of mamas and papas and kingdom and presence affects that person. But if we see it from a wrong perspective, we'll look with disdain and apathy and rejection, which is everything that the devil wants to do to divide God's kingdom and divide a church like this to stop his presence, but he can't. I mean, I know it's there. I know it's what he wants to do. So there's always a battle. There's always a fight. Always. You get one place of reprieve, which I'll tell you about in a little bit. But outside of that, there's always a battle and a fight to receive and believe and to hear. So we learn to discern. Everybody say, learn to discern. Because discernment is better than being judgmental. Jesus, what do you think about that person over there that is being loud, really way too loud? not flowing with everyone else? Or what do you think about that person that's laid out on that floor that's kind of convulsing around? Or what do you think about that person that's singing from the back row that's just a little bit too loud? What do you think about that person that's across the row, three seats down, that's going, and praying in tongues 
and you hadn't heard it before or you think it's odd or strange. You learn to discern and you say, Jesus, what do you think about that? And I see that person and I see somebody that was created originally in God's image and likeness, but has lost it because of the fall and that it's my job and responsibility to restore them back to image and likeness, not beat them up while they're down. It's my job to go over there or Marlene's or Fabian's or Doug's or Priscilla's or Chandrika's or Olivia's. I don't care. I know so many of you. It's our job to go over and put our hands on top of their head or in their back and to love them and to comfort them. Many times I'll go up to somebody and say, what are you feeling right now? Or there's other times I correct somebody and say, listen, your worship is out of line. Now I love you and I care about you. Let me teach you the right way because it's actually a distraction. But if I hurt them, abuse them, push them away, they'll miss the opportunity that God has and there's something else awaiting for them outside of this place and outside of God's kingdom. How can we come into the house of God? How can we? And have a disdain for people that are desiring. Now, will people come in with, with narratives to divide? Do witches and sorcerers and warlocks come in? Yes. But love and light is way more powerful than darkness. There's, I love saying this. There's no yin-yang theology in the kingdom. I don't even have to worry at all. Not zero, not an iota. I don't even take a thought. Do we stand watch? Do we have watchmen? Do we have intercessors? Do we pray? Do we trust? Do we love? Yes. But in the spirit, the light and the power and the presence of God is way more stronger than the darkness. So when they come to divide or create division, God in his sovereignty and his mercy and his love and his headship as the king of his church will deal with them. And if I'm not careful, I'll take matters into my own hand and deal with them erroneously and I'll put myself in the righteous judge position when I'm not, he is. But we learn to lead and correct from the position of mothers and fathers. That's what parents do. You've got sidetracked, you're off track. Hey, let, man, listen, I'm so glad you're here. Let me coach you, stand up right now. Just put your hands up in the air and close your eyes. Just take a deep breath. Thank you, Jesus, for peace. Because I didn't know how to worship accurately. I was coming out of reggae bands and bars and clubs. I was lost as lost could be when I came into a wild. I thought to myself, this, the first church I went to, I thought this is the wildest church and nobody's getting high. I don't even, I didn't understand it. <laughs> Where's the drugs? That's what I thought. Because I was experiencing something way better than what I had tasted in the world, but the only narrative I had was what the world had, and so my natural way of thinking was, There's got, somebody's got to be smoking some doobies around here because how are they dancing like that? Come on, guys, that's, that was funny. That was funny. And so I had to learn to discern by listening and gaining understanding. And you're not going to get it if you don't turn an ear and say, I believe, I receive, and get born again and say, Lord, I want to know because you really know when you surrender, you really know when you take the step of faith. And then over the course of time, you begin to feel the Father's heart because I feel the Father's heart for every single person. 
And even though I may rise up in a righteous anger and I get angry, I don't sin in it. Because no matter who and no matter what, no matter how bad it is, God still died for that person. There's not one person God didn't die for. I don't care who you put in. There's not one person God didn't, Jesus did not lay his life down for. That's the gospel. Do I love, do I love what they do? No. Do I love them? Yes. And I'm, I've been around some bad dudes. I haven't been around as bad of dudes as Jason Sanchez has been around. He's been around some of the worst of the worst of the worst that are full-scale pawns of Satan that are being used for the enemy's agenda and plan. But even those people Jesus gave his life for. Even those people. Even those people. I don't, no matter how much you want to not like that, it's the truth. And so we've got to get what we do here in this sanctuary into perspective. Here's what's happening. Anybody that is not living for Jesus is veiled. They're veiled. Second Corinthians three says that anybody that turns to Jesus, the veil is taken away. Hence the scripture, which we've sang the song. If you've been a Christian for any more than five, 10 years, you sang the song. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But the freedom isn't to just dance more. The freedom is to behold him. The freedom is to see him and then be transformed from glory to glory. It's all the end of 2 Corinthians 3. So anybody though that is not beholding Jesus has a veil. And God gives very specific identifiers on earth when you know you're living veiled. It's not rocket science, everybody. It doesn't take some supernatural mystery. The Bible paints the contrast continuously, the difference between dark and light. And darkness has indicators. Darkness really has indicators, guys. Darkness isn't that crafty. And the Bible from the beginning would begin to, to describe to us what those indicators are, and God would actually put the indicators in place for a purpose. There's the scripture, thank you. Yeah, I got Jeremy on the wheel. Hey, so God, in the beginning, would put indicators for the rest of creation that defines when you're veiled, when there's darkness, or when you're eating from the wrong tree. See, God doesn't want you to be good. That's the religious lie. If you're living in a world of right and wrong, sin or no sin, good or bad, wrong tree. That's wrong tree. God wants you to be spiritual. And when you're spiritual, he makes you good. Now, being spiritual means that I'm consuming from the daily bread, the bread of life. I'm drinking from the living water so that I never thirst again. Now, I hunger and thirst for righteousness, but I'm satisfied in my soul. He satisfies my soul. He satisfies my soul better than a doobie, better than a line, better than a... Should I go down the list? <laughs> My wife says no. See, the contrast is I tasted that, but now I've tasted something better. The contrast is, is I know what that does, but now I know something better. But you see, I never want my daughter, I never want little Zion and little Cadence to have to taste what I had to taste, but they do have to go through tension. Because without tension, there's no responding. Everybody must bow and be born again.
even my little kids. But my little kids don't have to go the route that I went. My wife didn't never, she's never done a drug, ever. Which kind of blows my mind, but thank God for that. <laughs> I remember when I applied to go into the prison or to the local jail for, to lead a Bible study. I had to fill out a background check. It took about two months. I didn't know why I was taking so long. Maybe my rap sheet was so long. I don't know what it was. <laughs> so I called Sergeant Signs was his name. Finally, I said, hey, I've been waiting. He goes, oh yeah, I'm sorry it took so long. We're, you know, we've got a little backlog on background checks. I said, all right. I said, he said, well, I'm looking at yours right here. It looks like you had some problems in 1989. I said, okay. I said, what are you seeing on that report? Says, well, it looks like you got, you know, busted for marijuana. You got several misdemeanor offenses for marijuana in 1989. I said, officer, who didn't get busted for pot in 1989? <laughs> and he said, he said, you're right. You're approved. You can come in. <laughs> so there's all these indicators. And we want to teach our children what those indicators are. So the other day, you got to be extremely careful if you're watching Nickelodeon and Disney Channel. You better be careful because their only narrative is the Magic Kingdom. And every show contains an element of magic because they don't know how to lay claim to the supernatural like we do. So everything includes potions and wands and, you know, seances and chants and all this stuff. And they use that to bedazzle our children. Really, the better word is bewitch. So I turn on DuckTales. I'm like, ah, DuckTales. I mean, I haven't been in a Daffy Duck in a long time. So I turn on DuckTales and it's about all the little ducks. Now, I don't know the story that well, except there are a bunch of children ducks. And the children ducks are playing together. And one of the children ducks tells the other children duck that I think it's Daffy Duck or the dad duck, huh? Donald, I keep saying Daffy. There's a better duck. Daffy Duck is the black duck, that's right. That's right, Daffy's the Looney Tune, thank you. So the little duck says to the other duck that the daddy duck doesn't like magic books in the house. So the one duck says, but come over here to our library. And on the cover of the book was like, a normal book. But then they slid out of the book, a book on seances and witchcraft. And I went off, off. Daddy, I was watching that, uh, off. Now let's have a conversation. Because my children, even though little Zion's three and does not have a full comprehension and understanding, they're never too young for me to explain it. And again, and again, and again. And then I take my own story that I'm not ashamed of, that I tell all the time here. So on one side, bring your kids. On the other side, have conversations with your kids. Because we use a lot of words that either you're gonna teach them or the school system's gonna teach them. Either public school or our state universities are gonna teach these kids one way or another. We teach them or they teach them. When I was a youth pastor, 
I'd have all these goth kids and metalhead kids that come into the youth group and they were jacked up. I mean, jacked up. They're doing drugs. They're sleeping around. They're like 14, 15 years old. And they would get delivered and set free and experience God and his presence and say yes and walk right out the doors into their parents' house that's doing the very exact thing that I, they just got delivered from. The issue's not with the kids. The issue is with how we lead our kids. Oh yeah, we're not anti-Disney, by the way, just so that you know. <laughs> we still, my wife wants to say something. Come up here. Yeah. Oh. No, I, this is just a big thing with people on TV and mom live, believe me. Um, we're not anti, we're not anti-Disney. We are, um, we use it, I personally just think it's important to like make sure you know what they're watching, period. And so if Disney can be really awesome and have really great messages. And so basically I don't just use it as a babysitter. We just have to be aware like what pops on, something crazy pops on, we turn it off and we use it as an opportunity instead of shunning it all together. And we're going to go to Disney World one day. All right. Come on, guys. Learn to discern. So there, I just shut some off, and I leave some on, and I pay attention. And I understand you can't get away from the complete narrative of magic from the shows, so you just teach your kids and have experiences that, that you lived that demonstrate the power of God over the power of darkness. Let me tell you about this time, Cadence when your daddy used to be into all that. Now, I don't ever want you to do it and I don't want them to do it, but I have a story to show them how they don't have to. And trust me, you don't have to because the best testimony is a son and a daughter that never went that direction. But even in the midst of it, they will still have attention that they have to respond to. And I often think to myself, what will their attention be? And then I pray. Then I pray. Everybody will experience attention. So let me show it to you. Let's go to Genesis chapter three, verse 17. Adam to Adam, this is right after Adam and Eve ate from the tree. We're going back to the garden, by the way. Adam eats the, and Eve eat the tree, but God speaks to Adam. He says, because you heeded the voice of your wife and you've eaten from the tree, which I commanded you saying, don't eat. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Now we're gonna pause here for a minute. As I was meditating on the scripture and reading, I heard the Lord say, the ground is cursed for your sake. I said, what? It's actually for our benefit that God would curse the ground. So all creation ultimately is cursed, not man, but the ground. The ground is cursed for a purpose. Because if God did not curse the ground and let it stay the way that it was, then man, having eaten from that tree, would become fully self-sufficient and God's unto themselves and seemingly have no need. I'm going to show it to you some more. Well, first of all, what does it mean to be cursed? To be cursed ultimately means it has an end. It's going to die. That's the first thing. So the... I love creation. And because I'm born again, and because I love Jesus, that what I see in the world is beautiful. I see beauty all around me. 
the, the condition of your heart will lead to the narrative of your eyes. If you live in a world of abuse and hurt and addiction and pain and isolated, what you will see in the world will be darkness. All the, that's why I meet mad people all the time. Stripes, H-E, everywhere I get people that are just angry. Just drive down SPID. Come on, guys, stay dialed in with me this morning. Don't lose me. Some people already left. Stay in. Stay in the zone here, okay? There are people that are hurting and broken and dying, and they don't even realize why they are. But it's in the midst of darkness and brokenness and hurting and dying that God commands light to come out of darkness. It's the contrast. It's the tension of creation. This is the tension of creation. So God would curse the ground and he would curse it for a reason. Look at the next verse. In toil, you will labor. In toil, you'll eat all the days of your life. Next verse. By thorns and thistles, it'll bring forth for you and you'll eat the herb of the field. The result of the fall of man for everyone was toil, sweat of your brow, thorns and thistles for everyone, okay? But Jesus would reverse the curse. Jesus would, make, would be the game changer. So toil is a very unique word. The word toil has a powerful understanding to it. It literally means to work extremely hard, sweat of your, think sweat of your brow, or incessantly, and to move so slow with extreme difficulty. Now, I'm going to paint the narrative for you. If you're living in a world where you never seem to get ahead, where it's extremely difficult, and you're moving so slow, and there's a constant sweating of your brow, you're living under the curse. So God would identify, God would give you a clear indicator of the condition of our heart because in the Bible, the ground is often the representation of your heart. So toil means, man, this is brutal. I have no peace. Let me tell you something. Even multimillionaires, have, if they aren't living a life fully submitted to Christ, and had the curse reversed, you, they'll buy comfort around them. And they'll put a wall or a mansion or a fortress around them to protect themselves and live in a world that seemingly seems to be comfortable but isn't. And at the end of the day, alcoholism and pill popping and suicide runs rampant even amongst the most wealthy. And God doesn't have any distinguisher between the mansion and living under the bridge. Every single person on earth has to battle the understanding of this scripture. Everybody. And so the identifier and the indicator ultimately comes from the conditions of our heart and comes from, am I living my life by the sweat of my brow with toil? And is there thorns and thistles? What do thorns and thistles do? They choke the life of God right out of you. And there's always a battle. There's always a battle, everybody. There's always a battle. There's a battle right now taking place because I'm just throwing seed. I'm taking from the thesaurus of my heart, 
which is the word treasure. I'm taking from the treasure inside of me. I have a treasure in earthen vessel and I'm pulling out and I'm casting, pulling and casting everywhere I go. And the indicator of someone that is not living where God wants them to live ultimately is, de is defined right here. And so God has an answer. God has a better way. God has a much better way. And I teach that a lot and I won't go into the full detail of it, but just to prove my point for you, look at Luke chapter eight, verse four. Luke chapter eight, verse four. So Jesus comes along and you've had this period from Genesis all the way to Jesus, thousands of years of God teaching, tutoring with the law and preparing with the law, the better covenant. So the way that God would actually have to reverse the curse would be through Jesus, but he'd set up all these patterns and covenants and promises and all these things for us to follow in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai and the tabernacles and the tents and the promised land and Egypt and all those things that teach us all about how to live today, okay? And then Jesus would come along and use this narrative of understanding that the kingdom is like a sower that's constantly sowing seed into people's hearts. So you have two types of people. You have the sower and you have the receiver. Right now I'm sowing and you're receiving. But ultimately the plan is to get you to be sowers for other people to receive. That's the ultimate plan, is to reproduce and raise up people that sow the seed. So Jesus would come along and a great multitude's following. When he came to him, he spoke a parable. A parable is basically a, is metaphorical language of a natural story that implies a spiritual understanding. And it's kind of a real, they're real stories. Like think of anything in this earth to tell a story about and you can then bring a spiritual understanding to it. And that's what Jesus does. So he says a parable, verse five. He says, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. So sowing seed, the seed goes out, falls by the wayside. You know what the wayside is? It's not on the side of the path. The word wayside is the exact same word that Jesus used when he said, I am the way. Same word. The word wayside means the path, the road, the journey, the life you're currently living, and the way you think right now. It's really the seed falling into, yes, your heart, but more so your mental capacity and the way you think and believe. It's the wayside is the decision. It's the valley of decision in your mind. Because look at verse 11. The parable is this, the seed is the word of God, verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear and the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. Now in Matthew 13, this parable is also spoken. And Matthew says this, he says, the devil comes and robs the seed because of a lack of understanding. That's why I work so hard to get you to understand. I work, so, I, my kids need an understanding. 
They've got to gain understanding about the principles of the kingdom so they have a language and a narrative and they understand God's word so that they can somewhat explain it. Now, God does a lot of things that are unexplainable. But God gives, gives wisdom through Jesus for us to understand the hidden mysteries of God. It's called revelation. So God would, Paul would pray for the Ephesian, the church of Ephesus to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so Matthew would say, because of a lack of understanding, the devil would come and take away the seed. Now let's go back to verse four, verse five, I'm sorry. So the sower sows the seed and some fell into the way that people are currently living their lives and the current mental capacity that they have, the journey, the way that you're, we're currently living on right now. And I want you to notice what the next thing is. And it was trampled down. This is a pattern. Trampled down means to put subject under your feet. Trampled down means to take the word that was spoken and instead of receiving and believing to gain understanding, I take it and I subject it under my feet. So instead of the devil being subjected under my feet, I'm now subjecting God and his word under my feet. This is a mystery. Listen to what I'm saying to you. The first thing that happened to the seed, so I'm sowing seed and it falls out. It gets thrown out into the hearts and lives of people and it falls onto the wayside and it gets trampled down because the minute that we reject, the minute that we doubt, the minute that we choose to not receive and believe, the word falls to the ground on the wayside and guess who takes it? See, the devil has no right to steal the word out of your life. The devil has no right. The pattern in the process here is that people make the decision to reject it. And I always know that's gonna happen. You know, I made a decision a long time ago with the Lord that anytime I ride with an Uber, I'm gonna witness to the driver. And I've been in some uncomfortable situations. I've been with Israelis, I've been with Muslims, I've been with Pakistanis, and I've been with people, because a lot of Uber drivers are from the nations. And so every time, I mean, I've been in Ubers, I was with a Jewish guy, and where he says, I'm from Israel, I'm like, oh man, I'm half Jewish, we're kind of hitting it off, he's driving along, and I say, so tell me what you think about Jesus. And the guy got struck. I said, Jesus, and you would have thought lightning hit the car. The guy almost ran us off the road into the curb. My wife was in the car. True story. The guy just was like struck by power when I said the name. And let's listen. It's always a battle for the word. Every single time that you go to preach the word or sow the word, guess who's right next to it? the birds of the air. But guess who the deciding factor is if the bird's gonna get it or not? Get it? So I receive and I believe and I'm born again. And there's always gonna be a battle for the word in this place. I've already watched people go, but you stay. And for every one that leaves, five more will come. And I've had many a Uber driver say, I don't wanna hear it and I reject it. Like this last time, I had two Uber drivers this weekend in Austin. The first one is from Nicaragua. Very nice guy. I get in the car. He's high energy. I can feel it. I'm high energy. We got this, this synergistic thing going on. Man, you just feel it. 
And I could tell the guy was a Christian. I said, so what do you think about Jesus and spirituality? That's how I ask it. Tell me what you think about Jesus. I want to know. And so the guy says, I'm a Christian. I said, really? How did you get born again? He goes, I had an 85-year-old lady that somehow met me right when I came from Nicaragua and invited me to this little church in San Antonio. And I got born again. And ever since then, I've been living for Jesus. I said, high five, bro. I said, let me tell you what God's saying. He says, and I prophesied over him because the sower that's sowing the word is both the written word and the prophetic rhema of God. They go hand in hand. That's why Jesus would prophesy over the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he'd say, he asked her, do you have a husband? No, I don't. You've spoken rightly. You actually have five, and the one you're living with is not, oh, you're a prophet. I pres- you told me everything I ever did, and that's really all he said. But you're strategic, and you're skilled with doctrine and the word of God, and you do it from a place of love and care. I really love those Uber drivers. They don't know that I do. They might think I'm crazy, but who cares? I'm probably never going to see the guy again. I don't really care. Oftentimes, it's uncomfortable like the second guy I got. So the second guy I get is from Nigeria, and he is a big black guy. I mean, he is a big black guy, and he's driving like a little tiny smart car. I'm not kidding. It's a little tiny car, big, and he's hunched over the wheel. And I'm not kidding. The guy looks like he just smoked a big doobie. His eyes are red. I mean, and, he looked, and he's got like the most craziest rap music on, and it's dropping F-bombs and pumping B, and he doesn't even turn it down. Most Uber drivers are respectful and turn it down because they want a good tip. This guy doesn't care. So I look up, look on the phone and see his name's Gabriel. I said, ah, Gabriel, God is my strength. (laughs) So I start talking to Gabriel. Now my friend Mark's in the back seat. I start talking to Gabriel and we, you know, have a little chit chat and I say, so Gabriel, what do you think about Jesus and where are you spiritually? He says, I'm a very spiritual person. I'm a very spiritual person. I said, okay. He says, I, I'm a Christian. He says, but I keep it private and I don't choose to, I don't push anything on anybody. You know what he was really saying? I need you to be quiet right now. I don't really want to hear. What he was really saying is Christianity is personal and private, and that's what I believe, so do me a favor. Keep it to yourself. Boom, 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 F-bomb, F-bomb, cussing. I mean, it's like just raging on the, on the radio. But you know me. I say, well, Gabriel, Jesus had a private life. You're right, but Jesus also had a public life. And I said, Gabriel, I said, I'm a pastor in Corpus Christi. He goes, okay. And I said, I'm gonna give you a word right now. You have gotten away from the God of your strength. And you have fallen to the wayside and you've allowed yourself to believe a lie and you've lost who you once were because when you were a child and young, God began to show you the supernatural side of who he was and he wants to show it to you again. And he goes, 
He looks at me. I thought he's going to punch me in the face, but he didn't. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's right. He says, he says, you're right. He said, the problem is what I see with Christianity in America is so much different than South Africa or Nigeria. And he says, the way that we prayed and did church was so powerful when I was a kid. I remember a time when I went into a prayer meeting and I would cry out to the Lord and I closed my eyes, it was 10 at night and when I opened it, it was seven in the morning. Now, let me tell you something. There's always a battle for the word. In my spirit drops, there's an issue with his daughter and I hear the Lord say, ask him about his daughter. But even in that moment, I'm thinking, I don't even know what I'm in for with this guy. So I second guessed myself and I said, Gabriel, do you have any children? And he says, yes, I have a little girl. And I went, I second guessed myself. But so what? I learned from it. And I still got to speak a word because I said, God spoke to me about your daughter. But if I'd start to trust the little voice of the Holy Spirit in me, you won't believe what God wants to do in that moment. He says, I have a little daughter. I said, okay, what's going on with her? No, nothing. She's good. I said, are you sure something's not going? He goes, well, actually, she's in therapy. So people's initial response always is the battle for their mind and understanding. It always happens that way. And so I said, well, God told me about her. And I said, listen, bro. I said, I love you. And God's meeting you right now. He, when he pulled over to drop me off, we had a 30-minute encounter with the presence of God. And I laid hands on him. And the guy was weepy and touched with the power. And we got out. My friend Mark goes, oh, my God. I, what in the world just happened? Dave, you are so awesome. I said, I'm just being obedient to Jesus. And it was powerful. So there's always a battle. Let's go back to 8.5. Notice the pattern. The first thing that happens when the word comes is we make the choice to either receive or trample down. The devil can't take it from you. We're always battling for the minds and hearts of people. And anywhere there's a battle, there's a devourer. Now for Christians, God has given us weapons. 1 Corinthians 10, 4 says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of uh, strongholds, vain imaginations, and anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So God gives you weapons to tear it down. But there's always a battle. There's always a battle. And so the first thing is, are you going to receive it and believe it on the wayside of our life and our heart, or are we going to trample it down and allow the enemy to come and devour it? You know what devour means? Devour means to lay siege against what God has put inside of your life. Just make a decision to go, go after more. I'm telling you, just make the decision. And guess what? There's a lot of people that have made the decision and here comes the end. Like, man, I had it easier before I was saved. That's a lie. The devil comes to do all he can to rob and steal the seed out of you. It's just a matter of time. Sometimes it's immediate. See, the parable of the sower and the conditions of the hearts isn't about a momentary decision, but rather a lifestyle of dedication. That's what it's about. Some people respond with joy, but the cares of this world, the thorns and thistles will choke it out of you. But guess what? Keep coming back and learn the narrative. The best thing you can do is not give up. I have people that come here and run right back to their old lifestyles all the time. But at some point, somewhere, someday, somehow, if I love you the way God loved me and I have mercy on you the way he did on me, a thousand times over, he's gonna see you through and I'm gonna believe in you. Do not give up. Stay in a place where God's presence abides.
and where there's family. The devour, this word devour is so powerful because what it really means is that not only does the enemy lay siege to what's been put inside of your life, but he seeks to steal what is not his from you. It's this understanding of forcibly appropriate. So I just took, he doesn't like that. He wants to bow up on me. I just took his hat and glasses. I know you don't like that, but I love you and you love me. So I get to do that. (laughs) It's taking from the widow everything that's hers forcibly. It's taking from someone else what doesn't belong to you. That's why the parable of the talents is so important. The one that got one talent buried it where? In the ground. And guess what his ground believed? That God was a mean God and that God was unjust. And so when the Lord comes, he says, take it away. And he says, even what he has will be forcibly appropriated and taken away. And so we respond. We choose to make the decision to respond to what God has for us. And God says, here's the answer. The answer is receive and believe, be born again and stay with your weapons of warfare. Stay in the secret place because guess where one place is that the devil isn't? The secret place because it's a secret. So I go, and you know what Matthew 6, 6 says? It says, Don't be like the hypocrites when they pray and they go out into the marketplace so they can be seen by everybody and pray their prayers repeatedly over and over and over again. But rather you go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's already there in the secret place. So if the father's in the secret place, guess who's not there? So when I go into the secret place, I got reprieve. But the minute I come out, it's on like Donkey Kong. But my lamp is full. I've got my oil. I've got my treasure. I've got what I need to overcome every circumstance because I dug for it secretly and now the devil has no right to steal it anymore. And now what I do privately, God rewards openly and the devil can't take it. And the last thing that I'll tell you because I know I gotta close. Here's the last thing. The greatest, the greatest tool or thing that God gives us to overcome the onslaught of the enemy is his presence. Because let me just tell you, when God's presence shows up, it doesn't matter what you believe, he'll deal with it. When God's presence shows up, we weep, we cry, and he softens your heart because the next part of the parable is seed fell on the rock or the shallow ground, and it because of a lack of moisture, it was stolen. So you come in and moisture comes and God waters and softens your heart in his presence. David would say it like this, in his presence is fullness of joy. David would say, at his right hand, at my hand of strength, are pleasures forevermore. So don't let the devil rob the seed. And don't let yourself get discouraged when you're seed sowers. He'll try. There's all different kinds of soils, but so what? So what? I love well and I sow well and I give what God's been given to me and that's how you do it. And you understand that on right to the side, is the devil waiting. When we all walk out the door from what we've heard, we choose to receive and believe the wholeness of who we are in Christ and stay in his presence and be born again. Don't take a chance on it. 
Know you're born again. Know you're joined together with the Lord in one spirit. Don't be joined to a harlot. Don't be joined to the things of this world, but be joined to the Lord and become one spirit with him. Let's all stand.